0: Hi, everyone. This is Steve Bose from the HR Happy Hour Show. Before we get to today's HR Happy Hour Podcast Network show, I wanted to remind you that you can subscribe to all the shows on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. That means We're Only Human, Research on the Rocks, The Human Friendly Workplace, HR Market Watch, and of course, the flagship, The HR Happy Hour Show, just by searching for HR Happy Hour. On Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast focused on blending research and practical advice to help today's HR, talent, and learning leaders improve business outcomes. Let's welcome your host, Ben Eubanks. welcome to we're only human i'm ben eubanks your host and today we're digging into the skills gap in the workplace and how to address it and we're talking to Shelley osborne a chief learning officer with some ideas on how to make that happen but before we get to the interview a quick word from our sponsor this episode is supported by work human it's an amazing hr event that i'm really looking forward to attending this year this year's lineup includes Amal Clooney, Brene Brown, the inimitable Simon Zinnick, and a special Me Too panel featuring Toronto Burke, Ashley Judd, and Adam Grant. You can find out more info at workhuman.com, and I really hope to see you in Austin in April. And one of the highlights of last year's event for me was the CHRO panel. They had key HR leaders from Schneider Electric, NBC Universal, and Accenture all up there talking very frankly and openly about the key challenges and the opportunities facing their businesses. It's really an exciting session. I loved it. You know, I'm a sucker for a good story, and that session certainly delivered. I hope you check it out at workhuman.com. And now, on with today's show.
1: Greetings, everybody. This is Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human. Today, we're talking skills, learning, development, all that good stuff. I recently learned of a new study on the skills gap that came from the team over at Udemy, and I thought it'd be really good just too good not to share, really. Um, here to talk with us about it today is Shelley Osborne. She's the Head of Learning and Development over at Udemy. Welcome, Shelly.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
2: Yeah, so my, as you mentioned, I'm the Head of Learning and Development here at Udemy, and for those who don't know, we are a global learning marketplace, and what that really means is that Anybody, anywhere in the world can put a course up on our platform. And as much as that, they can also take a course from our platform. And we have content on everything from sourdough baking all the way to very technical skills like Python. And here at Udemy, what I do is I'm our internal head of learning and development, which is what I kind of think is the dream job in L&D, personally. Um, Basically, I get to focus on Uh, talent development for our global team, but I also get to uh, work with our product and design teams and and our customers as well on the Udemy for Business side and talk about learning and, and help sort of drive learning strategy for internally and externally. Absolutely. Awesome.
1: And let's make sure we don't uh, discourage our sourdough bakers. That's a highly technical skill, I'm sure. Um.
2: Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what? It is. That's actually one of our most popular courses, and it's an extremely difficult class. I took her uh, sourdough brownie. Uh, she did a live session for us here at Udemy. And it was very difficult, but it was very, very good. Very interesting cool. Mm -hmm.
1: It's been a while, since I check out the platform. I'll have to go back through and and take a look and see what other good stuff there. Every every time I go through, I'm kind of amazed at the quality, the quantity, the breadth of everything, all the courses and things I've seen in the past. So definitely worth checking out. Um, And again, some of the conversation today will be around things like soft skills development and everything else, which I know there's some good courses out there. So let's dive into the research. Um, Just to start off, let's level set on this idea of a skills gap for the audience because it's one of those things we hear about in the news. We see people talking about it pretty regularly. You know, It came up in the presidential race. You know, Everyone wants to talk about a skills gap. Hmm. How, does, how do you guys define it?
2: Well, the skills gap is really this idea that skills are changing faster than people are able to keep up with, uh, and as well as employers are wanting new skills from employees faster than they can train those skills currently. So that's really what the skills gap is, uh, and it's, it's happening way more quickly now than it ever has in the past due to a lot of different factors I'm sure we'll talk about today, but technology, uh, just innovation, those kinds of things are really making it difficult for, for both sides of this equation to keep up.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well, so one of the things that popped out at me almost immediately when I was looking at the study, some of the findings and things, Talked about the confidence level that we have as Americans and our abilities and our capabilities on the job. And the, the stat that jumped out at me was that 78% of us feel like we're above average, which statistically <laughs> um, is a problem there. And then 24% were highly above average. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Why do we think we're so good at these things? And is that a communication mismatch between us as workers and the employers? You know, how, do we, how can we kind of resolve that?
2: You know, I actually think this comes down to the democratization of education that, that we have today. So in the past, we didn't always know what employers required of us. We didn't know how we could learn a really hard skill. We didn't understand how we could pursue a different career path. But that's all changed with the internet and online learning. We are really, really sure we can figure it out, and I think that's where the confidence comes from. We may not have the exact skill we need right now, but I think we're confident in our ability to learn it and to be, you know, innovative and and just figure out what we need as we go.
1: Absolutely interesting. Well, one of the things, obviously, in that relationship, you know, you said a minute ago that employers are demanding skills kind of at a faster pace or of a different type than we might have provided as workers in the past. I keep talking, putting myself into that worker bucket. I need to talk about it more in third person, but um, we yeah. they're asking for more things than employees are used to being able to provide. And so whose responsibility is that really? Is it on the employee? Hey, I've I've just got to understand and know what my manager needs from me and make sure that I'm skilled for that. I know that, you know, as an L&D professional yourself, you take some responsibility for understanding what the business needs and transitioning down into courses and other tools that your employees can use to be, you know, on the cutting edge and to be able to meet those objectives. But I'm curious where that split kind of falls.
2: Well, I, I think you're right. It is a split. It's not one person's problem. It's not one group's problem to solve. I think that it's kind of a partnership where individuals certainly do want to seek out learning and, and upskill in a personalized way and, and find the things that they know are, are needed for them. But I think it's table stakes now for employers to provide appropriate education, upskilling and retraining. We found in our study, I think the, the quote was something like 40% of Americans believe that for the job they have right now, the skills required will completely change in the next five years. And that's, that's pretty fast. That's hard to keep up with. So as employers, if we're thinking about bringing in talent and if we're thinking about onboarding people and getting them, you know, in our organizations, we also need to think about retaining them and keeping that talent in-house. If the job changes, that doesn't mean that we should be, you know, you know, getting rid of that talent. We should be upskilling that really great worker we brought in, that great employee, and getting them onto some new type of work, getting them into a new role, getting them a new project.
1: Absolutely. That's one of the things that we actually looked at earlier this year in some of our research was around uh, talentability and how we can help to move people through the organization and, and not just make them feel like it's a static thing. And again yeah. I, I'm sure you've seen some of the stats elsewhere, as have I. That L&D, not D but uh, development opportunities are one of the key things that keep people engaged, keep them, in, you know, interested in working harder and sticking around longer. And as far as retention goes, and having those opportunities, not just you know to take some basic level of training, but seeing that path and where it could take them, that's really motivating for people.
2: Absolutely. And we spend so much time in that recruiting state and in that initial onboarding state. Wouldn't we start thinking differently about how we develop and retain people, uh, knowing full well that right now we're saying it's about five years? I think if we think about the rate of change, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse for how long skills are are really relevant. Uh, That shelf life is going to get worse and worse. So we need to think differently as employers about how we – uh, both assess talent but also how we develop it and retain it and look more at potential look more at that side of it the creativity are you um, are you innovative those types of things rather than the exact level of experience the exact set of skills because those are going to be out of date next week practically
1: <laughs> absolutely so let's talk about some of those things that you're talking about there that are more fundamental or evergreen in terms of skills, things that are going to be valuable today or in, you know, 10 years when the robots take over all of our jobs when, <laughs> when the robots are coming, you know. Seriously, though, some of those specific skills, what are they what did you that you see as being critical in terms of soft skills that are going to help sustain someone? They need to be honing these today because they're not just going to be helpful for, for this, this coming year but for, you know, the foreseeable future in terms of helping them perform in their job.
2: Well, considering all this rapid change, the most important skill anyone needs today is the ability to learn. That's sort of fundamental. With that skill, you can set yourself up well for anything. Um, beyond that, I think there are some soft skills that are super relevant that people are recognizing because these more technical, hard skills, job-specific skills are changing. Uh, those, those types of soft skills like communication, um, things like team collaboration, uh, problem-solving, those types of things are really, really uh, helpful. Uh, critical thinking, too, because those things can translate across multiple roles, across multiple areas, different functions, and we know that those technical skills aren't going to stay as relevant for as long.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you think about, I don't know about you, but when I think about the people that I admire, that I respect, that I have worked with and leaders in the past, they they might not have been the most amazing, adept, functional, you know, specific experts, but at the same time, they were really, really amazing at things like communication, at collaboration, at really being able to look at something and solve a problem well. And those are the things, again, that not just today, but I think for a long time to come, people will be trying to hone those pieces and really understand how to how to master those areas. You know, it's, it's, I don't think it surprises anybody to hear you say, You've got to be able to communicate to be able to do this. But at the same time, we still don't do a good job of that in many cases. We still have people that, that don't understand how to communicate um, communicate well or they don't understand the, the aspect of critical thinking that's really going to drive value for their role, for their position. Um, I had done a, an interview earlier this year with the University of Phoenix and they had done a similar, stu- or not a similar study, sorry, they had done a study around innovation and found that managers all over the place said that their their people were not very good at innovating and it came mm-hmm. down to they didn't have that critical thinking skill. They didn't have that ability to solve a problem and so that really echoes a lot of the points you're making there around everybody realizes that these skills are a challenge or a gap um, and what's amazing is that when we talk about the skills gap as a whole, it seems like this big, insurmountable problem. It's hard to wrap your arms around it. But when mm-hmm. we talk about it in terms of those fundamental kinds of skills, it seems like, it seems like it's much more understandable and maybe even uh, attackable is not a word, but something that you can actually take a bite out of as an individual if you're pursuing your own skills or if you're a business leader trying to make sure your people are prepared for the future.
2: Yeah, so I think it's, it's really interesting to consider what we as individuals can do, but also what we as organizations can do. On the individual level, we do have to be really adept at picking up new skills and not sort of relying on whatever college degree we got and thinking that that's going to carry us through our entire career path. That's not true anymore. I'm not sure it ever was, but there's just no denying it now. So what people need to do is think a little bit differently about how they upskill and how they really uh, think about their next promotion, think about their next job, and start layering in different kinds of, of learning. So instead of just focusing on area of, say, for example, a marketer, just really honing in on marketing, diversify those skills and learn, learn a little bit about code, learn a little bit about graphic design. Those things really help balance out someone and help them transition into different kinds of work in an organization. From the organizational perspective, uh, we do need to ensure that we're providing learning in a much more agile way. We can't expect individuals to wait six months for us to put together a training program that might maybe kind of solve one of their (laughs) needs, we need to be thinking about personalized learning and just-in-time learning so that if you're needing a skill right then, you can find the learning you need right in that moment. Platforms like Udemy do that really well where we have uh, a huge diversity of courses uh, Udemy for Business is uh, a, a service we provide to companies where they can provide licenses for learning to their employees. That kind of availability of, of content and learning in the moment, in the need, matters. We can't be so patient anymore. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I had heard, uh, I went to a learning conference earlier this year, and I heard this, this corporate leader, someone mentioned, you know, you just got to get your content right. And he said, if I had... I'm trying remember exactly what he said. Basically, if I uh, by the time I finished developing the course, the problem would have already sunk the business, basically. Yeah, so that's exactly we've, it. We've got to get on this in a more, you see the agile. I definitely agree. We've got to be more agile about it. We've got to be more nimble. We've got to look at ways to do, to deliver learning. We've got to look at ways to yes. capture learning moments that are already happening in the organization, yes. all these things, because otherwise again, we're missing out on, on all this value that's there to offer. We can't, I don't know where the, if hubris is that the words I want to, I'm, look, I'm looking for or not, but where that comes from, where we think that, you know, someone that's a CLO or a learning leader somewhere thinks that the only value that exists is something that they put put their content authoring together and, and they develop a course or they develop this, you know, something internally, that the only value is not there. There's a lot no. of good stuff out there. And if if it's not your core competency to be building those things all the time, instead shift to those things that you really do well and, find a good source of content, and just get that from your people so they can get it and get back to work.
2: Exactly. It's, it's so fundamental that we think differently about that. There's been this desire in the L&D space to have a lot of control over what content is presented to employees, and that has just really stunted um, talent development. And it, it really has kept people from getting the learning they need because of some sort of weird power play happening. Um, the way I view my role both internally and externally, is, is a facilitator for learning, not the content keeper, not the expert in all areas. I'm trying to conditions under which my employee base can access the learning they need. There's times when I certainly do create content, and that tends to be on these very, very intentional uh, types of pieces I want to weave through the entire DNA of the company. But when I think about an individual sitting in in my office right now, I don't deeply understand every single piece of learning they need. What I need to do is create the opportunities for them. And I think it would just be arrogance for me to consider the fact that I would, um, that I would know what, every single bit they know or that they need. I, I need to just give them the opportunities and create the space for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, one of my favorite sayings is curation is new creation. And I, <laughs> I really think that that's, that's a powerful way of looking at learning not just as we can create it all, but we can help you find what you need so that you can be better at it. Again, the role then becomes this, this guide or you know, kind of shepherding someone along to, to measure the impact and understand, hey, this was a great resource. We need to be sharing this with more people. Or, eh, that one didn't really return any results. Let's, let's find something else that's actually going to help, again, bridge some of these skills gaps that we have currently that we've identified in our workforce. So Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I thought was really intriguing in the study to take the conversation back that way. Sorry, I ran off on a tangent, but goodness, <laughs> I love talking talk about the stuff, obviously, as you can tell, and uh, I think you're a little bit passionate as well, so that's, that's all good. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was really intriguing was the global differences and how this played out in different countries. You know, you get to look at kind yeah. of, uh, you know, South America, things are different than they are in Europe and so on. Mm-hmm. Could you take a, a couple minutes and just walk through a couple of those differences globally so that our listeners can kind of get that understanding because some of them may have, may have employees working in other parts of the world They need to be aware of those things or, you know, whatever else in a lot of scenarios. So I think that would be valuable for us to kind of get that landscape of what it looks like globally, not just seeing our little picture here in the U.S.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think you're touching on something really interesting here because we did find some fascinating differences between um, when we looked at other countries and what their reactions were. One of the most interesting ones to me was 98% of Brazilian workers agreed that there was a skills gap issue in their country. And like, I think we just need to stop there for a second and say 98% of the people we surveyed, which we did a pretty robust survey. I don't, I didn't realize we could get 98% of anyone to agree on anything ever. <laughs> so I thought that was just really fascinating. Um, and then even more deeply there, 64 6% of those people felt personally affected by the skills gap, which ties into them feeling like they couldn't access roles or they couldn't access promotions, whatever that might be. And, and I think what's really, what we've seen as a company at Udemy, we've seen a huge push for learning. It's one of our biggest markets uh, where people are accessing, they're interested in education, they're using online learning uh, as, a, as a way to try and solve this skills gap, and that just blew me away. Um as well though, universally, we, we saw just generally everybody is acknowledging that there is a skills gap. Um, Spain was another really interesting one for me because they were very specific about the kinds of skills that they needed. They talked about needing productivity skills and they were also really, really loudly saying soft skills were important again and, and we've touched on this already, but soft skills are the hard skills, I think. It's the hardest stuff to really learn. It's more nuanced it's harder to figure out and apply in different situations. Um, yeah, and then I think there were some interesting observations as well uh, in France. We, we saw that a large majority of French workers go to specialty boot camps to learn new skills. Uh, and, and actually there was less of them using the online market.
1: Really, int- really interesting. Um, I just thought there was there was so much diversity in the responses. Again, everyone kind of is aware of that. The, the Brazilians are clearly very in tune or very upset, one of the, one or the other. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a really interesting look, though, because it's one of those things where we talk about it in the in a very when I see it normally mentioned it's these these types of positions are no longer being used you know it's heavily mm-hmm. you know manufacturing here in the US or you know whatever the skill happens to be we look at it through that lens and the thing that really surprised me was to think about it that everybody sees it slightly differently around the world everybody has a little different perception of what the specific gap is what and even like you said, how to actually impact it. What it takes mm-hmm. to to change that. Some of them see those you know, a boot camp that's more maybe more collaborative than another type of experience is the way to do it. Other people say, hey, we've got to have just we've got have this, this course right here in front of us. We've just got to be able to have access to it. Things like that. I thought that was just a really interesting breakdown in in the the variety of uh, of out, outlooks I guess on the world. And while this while well, the survey talked about the U.S. for sure. Um, we all need to remember that each of our people are a little bit, little motivated by little different things. Um, some of them might really want that more collaborative experience. Some of them might just say, "Hey, give me the course and get out of my way. I am very much self-taught." I um, see. I um, imagine you see this as well. A lot of technical people are very focused on that kind of thing. They want, they want to kind of own their development. They want to say, "Hey." If I need something, you know, I'll let you know. Otherwise, just stay out of the way. I know the kind of skills that I need, and they're, they're very focused on those kind of things. And so it's really just an, an interesting look at, overall, what it takes to, to kind of break that down and, and get a handle on what that skills gap looks like.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right. You're touching on something that's kind of a personal passion for mine and, and is, is one of the reasons I actually joined Udemy. It's this idea that there's the right teacher for every student, And I think that that's also relating to what you're saying. There's the right experience for every student as well. And people know how they like to learn. They know um, what kinds of instructors they like. They know what kinds of learning experiences work for them. And they seek those out. I do think more and more we are sort of a digital world and we are going to online learning. So I think as, as both individuals and organizations, we have to sort of expect that a lot of our learning is going to come through this format and and have high expectations for content and and delivery on that because it's easier. We don't have to necessarily drive to a campus. We don't have to sit in a room. We can do it at an asynchronous time that works for us. Um, And at the same time, we have to make sure that those asynchronous Online experiences are robust. They're meaningful. They have great content. That's that's a it's like this chicken and egg. We can't just sort of put it online and expect it just to be okay because it's online.
1: Yeah, absolutely, completely. It's it's a different world out there today than it was ten, even five years ago. I would say. And, oh, uh, definitely. <laughs> If we, if we look at just even the, the quantity of the content that's out there now, it's it's exploding. Again, d- digital platforms like Udemy and others are just allowing people to get get things out there. Um, anybody can be a teacher. Anybody can be a student. And uh, we all should do a little bit of both, I would say. Um, I'm going to make sure that I get a link to the findings in the show notes so that everybody can check that out and, and dig in, uh, link over to the Udemy research site and find out more do you have any other takeaways for the audience? You're sitting down, you know, imagine sitting in front of uh, a couple thousand HR and business leaders right now. What advice would you give them as a kind of a takeaway for them to to do something actionable after they finish listening to this interview?
2: Well, yeah, I think there's two key takeaways here. and And the first one would be that this is, there's actually a lot of positive in this conversation. I think a lot of, Discussion and reporting about the skills gap has been very doom and gloom and, and sky is falling. And to your point off the top of our conversation about the optimism that Americans had, and I, we found that throughout the report. People believe in their ability to learn. People believe in their ability to upskill. That I think is the first thing to know. We, we have the potential. We have the capability. The second thing, the other big key takeaway, and, and I would direct this to HR leaders and just employers in general. We need to think differently about how we train and develop our employees. We need to provide learning. It has to be a part of our culture. We need to consider that that a lot of these roles are going to change rapidly, and we've got great talent sitting in our offices right beside us. We shouldn't waste that. We should make sure that we're providing appropriate learning and development opportunities and experiences, and and that we're getting it in their hands as quickly as they need it, not, not six months down the road.
1: Awesome. That is perfect. Perfect way to close out. Thank you so much, Shelly. I really have appreciated the conversation. I think that everyone's going to get some good insights, good, in, good uh, hopefully ideas and things to put into practice in the coming year as they're trying to figure out how they're going to sort out their, their L&D budgets, trying to sort out how they're going to approach this this problem, whether it's on a micro scale within the company or on a bigger scale, hey, we're trying to figure out how we're going to fit in with these different skills demands that the market is placing on our business. And so Mm -hmm. I really, really appreciate you sharing your insights today.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real treat talking.
1: Absolutely. To everybody else, I appreciate you listening in today. This has been Eubanks. We're from We're Only Human. I look forward to
0: catching you next time. Thank you for listening to We're Only Human. Please take a moment to share this episode with another HR leader who might see it as a valuable resource in their daily work. For more information about the podcast and to see all our show archives, please visit upstarthr.com.